The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. The scriptures say in Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, that is, the gate that causes you to suffer affliction. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small, or groaning, is the gate, and suffering affliction, the road, that leads to life, and only if you find it. I come day by day on this broadcast to talk about this journey with Jesus. Not the journey of the church not the journey of the institution. I come to talk about your journey to heaven. I come because the Lord has told me I am to do my duty, that if I do my duty and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and teach faithfully the word of God, that your blood will not be on my hands. This is a life and death teaching. I'm going to go deep today. It is a life or death teaching. It's the Word of God. He goes on, watch out for false prophets. Christian church today is filled with false prophets, men and women who are building their own kingdom for their own purposes. Very rare will you find a man or a woman who simply teaches the word of God and lets it lay. But that's what we're called to do in the word. It says they come to you in sheep's clothing, so all of us who are pastors or preachers or teachers, are going to come looking like sheep. We're going to come looking innocent. But the word we teach will quickly uncover whether we are innocent or whether we are not. There was recently a gathering of pastors here in the Washington metro area. One man who attended, I asked him the simple question. Were you drawn closer to Jesus? Was Jesus lifted up in your heart and in your eyes by going to this meeting? His answer was quickly given and unequivocal. No, it was not. That is the test. By listening to this broadcast today, if your heart is not drawn to Jesus, and if you are not confronted with your sin, if righteousness is left lying in the dust, and I simply bring to you some intellectual message, interesting, entertaining, inspirational, but if it does not confront you with your sin, and it does not draw your heart to Jesus, then be assured I am a false prophet, and is every other man and woman who does not fulfill the basic requirements of gospel teaching. Verse 16 says, By their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, 
and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. We could identify it as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. In other words, Christ-likeness. To do that, a man has to face his sin. He has to deal with his true heart condition. And then the gospel of Jesus must offer to that man the possibility of being forgiven and transformed and changed into the likeness of Jesus. Then he says, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It does not say only he who confesses his religious beliefs. It does not say that if you have correct theology, you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. No, it says he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He who does, he who acts in accord with the Father's will. So those who are not allowed to enter, simple deduction, have been unwilling or unable to do the will of the Father. They could talk a good game, but they couldn't do it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, or literally in the Greek, you lawbreakers. So very plainly, Jesus is laying out for us the false prophet is the one who says one thing and does another. The false prophet is the one who cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven even though he does many wonderful public things. But that person does not do the will of the Father. There's another passage of Scripture. Matthew, the 16th chapter. I'll begin with verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three steps. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A man must be crucified. A man must die to his own ego and his own desire. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Again, not what he has professed. It's not what we profess that makes the difference. It's what we do. And he gave us three steps that we must take. The first is to deny ourselves. Well, what is it that we are to deny? We are to deny our own self-interest. We are to be consumed with an interest in Jesus Christ. 
Not the world. Not the entertainment of the world. Not the World Series. I know many people who call themselves Christians who spend hours sitting in front of the television or the Internet watching the ball games. They worship at the idol of professional sports or many other entertainments that can satisfy the cry of their heart. So let's draw it very sharply today. What is the exact difference between a saint and a sinner? What is the exact difference? I believe the difference is a sinner is interested in what will profit him, a profit and loss. A saint has a mind set that he will not turn away from the living God that he will be totally obedient to the word that is given to him. He will deny himself. He will take up his cross. And he will follow Jesus. It is my duty to Christ. And it is my duty to people, you who listen to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to confront sin, and to say we must come into a place where absolute obedience to Jesus is the rule of our life. Now, one cannot adopt that rule if he has never died to himself. Self will rise up and consume everything. The sinner is not moved by duty. He knows his duty, but he has long ignored its claims on him. If you want that person to move, you must appeal to his selfish motives. If you would reach his heart, if you would reach his pocketbook, you must appeal to his selfish interests. With the Christian, you don't need to appeal to his hopes or to his fears. You only need to show him his duty to God. The sinner you can hope to move only by appeals to his interests. The reason for this is that his adopted course of life is to serve his own interests nothing higher. With sinners, the question of religion is one of loss and gain. But with a Christian, it is only a question of right and duty toward God. This makes truth to him all important and makes duty absolutely imperative. But the sinner will only ask, what shall I gain or what shall I lose? It is wholly a question of danger. Now, if you look today at Christian radio ministry, the Lord has prompted me on occasion, as necessary, to invite you to give of tithes and offerings to support this radio ministry. I have impressed upon you the necessity of proclaiming the gospel over Washington, D.C. I have even asked you to please pray about and consider helping the work of this broadcast, Pilgrim's Progress, to go nationwide. Now, I recognize that I could do certain things that would 
dramatically improve the flow of resources that would quickly take us national. I choose not to do those things. When you listen to a pastor and he says, I've written this wonderful book, and if you will send a contribution of any size, I will send you this book. Oh, now, will you give so that you can get? Not out of duty, not out of obedience to Jesus, not out of a sacrifice for the good of others. Note, now, I have this book. I've written it. It's a gift of $20. I'll send it to you. Or I'll send you this prayer cloth if you'll send me a gift of. Or I'll, and we have come up in the Christian church on radio with all kinds of devices to hook the listener in his own self-interest, in his own selfishness. Oh, I'd like that three cassette set or that three CD set, or I'd like that video. One man, my book is a 600-page book. It is the best. And he goes on about how wonderful his book is. And then he says, if you will send, and he tells you how much, I'll send that book out to you. This is appealing to the selfishness of men's hearts. And it creates a Christian who is not a Christian. It's appealing to the selfish motives, and then you must always increase and give more and more and more. Another popular thing that is done in the church, one dear pastor, when confronted by his daughter on why are you doing all of these social events in the church? Why are you holding these concerts and charging for tickets? Why are you bringing in these famous guest speakers? What's the motivation, Dad? And his answer was very simple. I'm doing this in order to attract people to the church so that they can learn about the gospel. Really? Instead of learning about the gospel, they're learning about a business mechanism that is drawing them in in a selfishness of heart. At what point will you change, preacher, and begin to just teach the straight word of God? You won't, because you're afraid those people who came in from selfish motive will leave out of selfish motive. And, of course, they would leave. And so we keep the song and the dance moving until today the Christian church is primarily about entertainment, inspiration, reflecting the culture that we're a part of, wickedness before God. With sinners, the question of religion is one of loss and gain. It's not a question of right and duty toward God. Now, I don't mean to offend you, but every Christian has the duty to support financially the work of the gospel where they are fed, where they are encouraged in righteousness. And then secondly, every Christian has a duty to support that pastor or that church that is reaching out to the lost and the dying, and the Holy Spirit tells you to be a part of that. If you don't do it, you are not doing your duty to God. Now, duty is an onerous word. It's not one we like very well in today's culture. When I was working as a as a military chaplain, duty was very important to me. Duty for me meant that I was doing something for others that was much greater than myself. 
I was willing even to lay down my life, if necessary, to help in the great cause of righteousness. Now, we've become very cynical in today's world because we recognize that the presidents are willing to send men to their death for political reasons, not for moral reasons. We all recognize that the Second World War and fighting against Adolf Hitler was very much a moral issue. But Vietnam? No, that was not a moral issue. That was a military-industrial complex willing to feed the lives of men into the fodder of war in order for gain. Now, I recognize that in the Second World War, there were also men like Prescott Bush, who out of New York was financing the Nazis. Hitler could never have built his great army had he not had Western technology and finance. There were Ford trucks being used by Adolf Hitler. But not being naive today, But for most men who fought in the Second World War, they went because it was their duty, and it was for freedom, and it was a morally just war. We have tried in our political twistedness to somehow make invading Iraq a moral war. It was not. We lost and injured and crippled many, many Americans and killed many innocent Iraqis. And now we see what foolishness it all was. It was not a just war to go into Afghanistan. It's not a just war to go into Syria. In fact, it's probably internationally illegal. But as I look at this whole picture, when I do my duty, it is for something much greater than myself. It's a forgetting about myself and looking at the greater need and saying, I will throw myself into helping to create a rescue in that greater need. Many of you today who listen are doing your duty regarding abortion. Abortion is evil. It is ungodly. It is the same as Goebbels. There is now, after we have seen the videos out of Planned Parenthood, no longer any question of the utter wickedness and the war that is being waged by Planned Parenthood against people of color. A whole generation of of young black children have been lost. With our welfare programs, we have, through Johnson and other presidents, we have, in a very ungodly way, destroyed many black families. To do our duty is to go beyond the political. It's to go beyond what is socially acceptable. It is to do everything in our power to rescue the hurting, to feed the hungry, to reach out a hand to a neighbor. It is to go beyond ourselves. It is to rescue those who desperately need our care. A Christian does his duty. A Christian sacrifices himself or herself for a greater good, the good of the kingdom of God. But the sinner asks, what shall I gain if I do this? And What's the downsize? The downside. What do I have to risk? It's wholly a question of danger. 
Indeed, so true is this that many Christians today only look at the Christian faith as a means to gain for their own good. I invited a a couple to visit the National Prayer Chapel, and they said, oh, we can't do that, Pastor. I said, why? Well, because we have a small family business, and we're networking in our church. It's our opportunity to share a business with people in the church. In other words, they were prostituting the church. They were not there to do their duty. They were there for profit and loss. They were there as entrepreneurs. Nothing wrong with being entrepreneurial, except when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A Christian's life can never be about what do I gain? How can I profit? What can I create for myself? If it is, then we have a selfish church. We have selfish Christians and we have a selfish church. If you say to them, this is duty, they'll reply, what have we ever cared for duty? We were never converted to the doctrine of doing our duty. We became Christians for the sake of promoting our own interests. Now, they're not going to say that. But in reality, that's what they have done. Oh, I'll accept the gift of eternal salvation. Thank you. They already have their jobs and their careers, their homes, their cars, their husband, their wife, their children, and now suddenly someone is offering them a wonderful gift of eternal life, and there isn't anything they have to do except just say, I believe in Jesus and I confess my sin and and now I'm saved. So they add one goodie to another. That is not the Christian gospel. But in fact, in principle. I don't know how to talk about this very well because I too am guilty. The general principle of making everything subservient to my needs and my desires. And I've had to repent of this. coming to do this radio broadcast cannot be about about Pastor Ray. It must be about Jesus. I cannot ask you to do your duty in supporting what God has called you to support so that I can be somebody. I shudder when someone says to me, Oh, you're very well known, Pastor Ray. No, thank you, I'm not. If I am, I've not done what I was supposed to do. Jesus is supposed to be very well known. This has to be about Jesus. And so I ask you today, are you willing to be honest toward God today? Do you regard God's rights as much as you regard your own supposed rights. Is it okay that a person simply tries to be a good person without any real attempt to be obedient to God? Now, let me put it this way. Let's examine our conduct toward the Lord God of heaven. We are called to repent. And most of us have thought that simply meant to say, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. Saying I'm sorry is not repentance. 
Repentance is when I turn from that behavior and I no longer do it. The Lord calls you to repent of worshiping at the altars of this world. Jesus calls you to repent of worshiping at the altar of your sports team. I asked a man recently that I'm becoming friends with. He's not a Christian. But there was another man that we both know, and I said to him, what happened? Where's so-and-so? And he said to me, his team did badly last night. I think he doesn't want to talk about it, so he didn't show up. Stunning. It was said in a group of Christian men, all who belong to the same church. This man is slowly integrating himself or being integrated into this church, and and he feels very comfortable because their topic of conversation is about what he loves. And so he's being drawn into the church because they all love the sports. Let me ask very plainly. When God calls you to repent, do you repent? Or do you slide it away from you? You see, all of us are going to die and face the judgment. And when we face the judgment, the scripture I just read for you in Matthew 16, Matthew 7, says that we will be judged according to what we have done. Not what we've said, but what we've done. Are you willing Are you willing to repent Now had you asked me that some 30 years ago I would have said as I did to a man who confronted me and said pastor you need to repent He was a man who had a very real Christian. And I said to him, what do you mean I need to repent? I repented a long time ago. I don't need to repent of anything. I didn't know I needed to repent. Why? How is that possible? Because as the Holy Spirit had come to me, I had not obeyed. And slowly my mind was calloused, and my heart became hardened. I didn't have the light of the gospel shining in my spirit, so I didn't know that I needed to repent. Many of you listening to this broadcast today, when I say to you, you need to repent, you must be born from above, you must be born again. You say, I was already born again. I've done that. I'm saved. And I say, you must repent. And you say, what do you mean I must repent? I'm saved. And yet you live like the world. If I look at your life and I look at a pagan's life, there seems to be no difference. Except you may go to church. You may be religious. But religion will not save you. Repentance only is able to come into our hearts as a revelation comes of the holiness and the glory of Jesus. 
until we begin to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of Jesus. What's that old song? I forget the title of it. I'm sure you'll remember it as soon as I begin to speak the words. Does the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace? But if we don't see his glory and we don't see his grace, then the things of the world don't grow strangely dim until we think that's reality. But we're very religious. And so we go to church and we give maybe a tithe or maybe we kick 20 bucks in the offering plate and think that's we've done our duty. Because your heart has become calloused and hard. You know there's no longer a fire burning in your heart. You've lost your first love. You've turned aside. You've become casual. You've become like the world, filled with the foolishness of the world and the entertainment of the world. You know how to hang with the pagans, and and then you know how to go to church and be religious with the religious. What's the exact difference between a Christian and a sinner? a saint and a sinner. Well, the sinner is hardened in his heart. He's not there to do his duty. He's not seeking after Jesus. He's not reading the word. He's not meditating. He's not seeking after God. So there's no revelation of God in the sinner's heart. That's why I have to come and preach in the hopes that one of you listening to this broadcast will be awakened to your soul's condition, and you'll say, no, I've got to get right with Jesus. That you'll leave your religion behind and say, I don't want to be religious. I want to be a Christian. I want to have my heart utterly given to serve only Jesus Christ. I want Jesus to be everything for me. I want him to fill me with his presence. What happens when when Jesus calls on you? Do you refuse? What are you going to do with Jesus? You see, you resist the truth of God by refusing to let the light of God's presence penetrate your heart and your mind that light that would cause you to change your comfortable life and behavior, that would cause you to step out. I've seen people come and and begin to be convicted and begin to weep over their sin, and then they go talk with somebody, maybe the pastor of a dead church. And that pastor says to them, don't listen to that. Jesus loves you. You're saved just the way you are. He has unconditional love for you. And they soothe that man back into a numb state where he no longer cares about this deep, serious obedience to Jesus. Instead, he's got religion. And now he's assured by his pastor that he's loved unconditionally, he's saved, and he can settle back into his slumber. Oh, maybe he'll be improved in a couple areas. Maybe he won't watch as much television. Maybe he'll. Maybe he won't yell at his wife as much. Maybe he'll go take some classes on how to control his anger. Anger management, they call it. Now, you don't need an anger management class. You need a class in dying, of being born from above, and being changed into a new creature in Christ. But if you want to go and and get religion, you can do that. There's lots of places that will teach you all about religion. But as you hold back the truth of the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, as you refuse the legitimate influence of the Holy Spirit on your mind, you slowly Lose your first love. And you turn toward darkness. 
You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Whitbridge, Virginia. We have a few minutes left in this broadcast. I'd be happy to pray with you if you need someone to pray with you. Our phone number is 877-534-0780. you'd like to call, you're welcome. I'd be happy to talk with you. Be happy to pray with you. As I'm waiting for a call, let me give you our address. It's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, for those of you who have been moved by the Holy Spirit and you gave this last month to cover the cost of radio, all of those pledges that came in are not yet received, but sufficient pledges came to cover the entire month of October. We had to take two days of offertory to accomplish that, but by the grace of Jesus, it's done. I'm simply waiting now for the pledges to come in. Already, though, I'm receiving monies for the month of November. The first money came on Sunday, $200. I praise God for each of you who takes up your duty to support the work of the kingdom of God, the teaching of the scriptures. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot do this alone. I need brothers and sisters who will pray, who will intercede, and who will give of your resources to allow Pilgrim's Progress to be on the air. Thank you. I'm here to pray with you or to speak with you. If you would like to call, you're welcome right now, 877-534-0780. I know in the spirit that some of you today have drifted back into coldness of heart. You're very religious, but you know that sin stands before you. And some of you have no idea what your sin is. You just know you're miles away from Jesus. And when you pray, it's like your prayer hits the ceiling and bounces back down on you. I'm here to pray for you. 877-534-0780 Lord, I come today knowing that without the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, the words that I've spoken today will fall on hard ground and Satan will come and pick them up and cast them away. Because a religious heart is packed and hard. Lord, I pray for those today who have hearts that are packed down, rock solid, confident in their position in you, but only because they have religion. Lord, they know their heart is for the world and the things of the world. They know they have a sentimental attachment to a Jesus, but there's no obedience, there's no sacrifice, there's no dying out. Lord, I pray for each person who is like that as they listen to this broadcast. Lord, I pray for each person who is walking in self-sufficiency. 
I pray for each person today who is just going along to get along. Who knows so much about the Christian faith, but has no real experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's no passion for you in their heart. There's no aliveness in their spirit. Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit over Washington, D.C. today. I pray for those pastors today who are doing their duty before you. I pray for those ministers today who are honestly doing their duty before you, who are acting with love and compassion, but who are lifting up the cross. I pray for those pastors that you will encourage them and provide for them as they faithfully teach in every way possible the full gospel of Jesus. Lord, would you breathe into them encouragement? Would you breathe into them a greater revelation of yourself, Jesus? May they see you on the cross, and may they see you lifted up, high and lifted up. And may they see you, the glorious resurrected Jesus. And would that encourage their heart to continue doing their duty Lord, don't let them quit. Don't let them turn back in discouragement and despair. Lord, we're going through. We're going all the way through. Lord, thank you for the precious woman who just sent an offering for radio and said on her note, press on, press on. Lord, thank you. Give my brothers and sisters today who don't know what to do the courage to not quit, to not let any discouragement enter their hearts, to not allow any hopelessness to control their actions or their thoughts. And Lord, those today who are just discouraged and depressed, Lord, would you lift them up today? Would you encourage their hearts today? Would you breathe into them now new life and new hope? Lord God of heaven, in the name of Jesus we come, pleading your blood, asking that you lift your people up and establish them in righteousness and holiness. Lord, those pastors and those ministers today who are walking in wickedness before you, I ask that you would send people into their lives to confront them. I ask that you would convict them of their wickedness. Lord, I pray for those who love the praise of others, who love to argue, who are filled with their rituals and their religion but who are far from you, Jesus. I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to them. I ask that you would move upon their heart. Lord, I ask for revival in every church in Washington metro area. I ask for the coming of your Holy Spirit in truth. I come asking that your Holy Spirit would come lifting up Jesus. Mighty God of heaven, would you come and rule over Washington, D.C.? Lord, until the pulpits are aflame with righteousness, we have no chance of turning back the tide of wickedness that is overtaking our nation. Lord, the vile wickedness that is spewing out of Hollywood and out of every wicked place, oh God, I ask you to ignite the pulpits of Washington, D.C. with righteousness. That men and women, that we would forget about ourselves. We would forget about our success and our careers. We would forget about our money. 
and our needs. Lord, let everything be consumed in doing our duty to you, Jesus. For you have called us to a much higher calling. You've called us to lift up the cross. Lord, I plead today your blood over Washington, D.C. I plead that the powers of darkness would be broken and cast back. I ask that the abortion clinics would go out of business. I ask that you would rouse righteous men and women to stand in the gap and pray. Lord, I pray today especially for that humble believer who says, I'm nobody. I just love Jesus. Lord, would you lift up those men and women today who humbly confess that they are nobody and that you, Jesus, are everything. Some are in need of physical healing. Others are in need of financial resources. Others are in need because they've been rejected by their families. Some are imprisoned in the hopelessness with no success, even as Joseph was put in prison, innocent. Lord, I plead today for every humble man and woman in Washington that you would empower them with the Holy Spirit. You would set them ablaze with your Holy Spirit, that they would go forth in power. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. I worship you, Jesus. Wash us whiter than snow. Cleanse your people. Restore your people. Lord, put a great, courageous lion spirit in your people that it would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, give us inner strength. Give us inner muscle. Lord, lift us up, not by our power and not by our ego and not by what we think we know, but by the power of your blood and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, come and minister to your people today. Breathe into us, O breath of God. Breathe into us, O Holy Spirit, and we will worship you and praise you and honor you. For you are the living God, high and lifted up. I worship you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Bless your people today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. With great joy. To the only God our Savior. Through